David Adams here, the voice of the ring, and the following is a presentation of the Mancast Network podcast for the man in all of us. Hey guys, it's the Princess of Pro Wrestling, SoCal Valve from Fight TV, and you're watching Opinion City on the Mancast Network, and I am a proud Opinion City girl. Citizens of Opinion City, welcome back for episode number two. On this episode of Opinion City, it's WWE Draft Time featuring our reactions and a look forward to what we think we'll see from this new version of WWE. We discussed WWE adding yet another title and what we think will happen with this new World Heavyweight title. We preview this weekend's big WWE Premium Live event from Puerto Rico. And in our featured topic, we give our picks for the best factions in pro wrestling history with a twist. I'm your host, Ralph Heinmarch, and joining me once again on this journey into the world of pro wrestling is my co-host, the former host of WVYCFM's award-winning show, Decades Gone By. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the one and only Parmesan Russell. Sean, what is going on? We're back for another round of wrestling conversations. We are, and I am so excited. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about this week. Um, I'm excited for our featured topic because... yes. I got to say, factions are one of my absolute favorite things about professional wrestling. I think they're Super so amazing. Excited. Super yeah, excited. There so many great things to talk about when it comes to factions. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, it's it's been an interesting week in the wrestling world. Um, there's still a lot of conversation about what is going on with uh, Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns. We still don't have a great answer after the draft either so um who knows where that's headed uh it's that if if they're heading towards the two of them at wrestlemania 40 they are definitely taking the long route absolutely i think uh i feel like right now the goal for them is to have reigns pass hulk hogan's legendary uh run as champion which i think is like 1474 days which would mean mm-hmm. we would have to have Reigns for a whole another year as double champion, which Listen, I'm not I, exactly a fan of. Yeah, I got to tell you, um, you know, as far as Roman Reigns continuing to be champion, um, I have not been a Roman Reigns fan from the beginning. That he's never been my thing. Um, I kind of, and and I'm in the mi- minority in this. I know, um, but I've never, uh, I've never had. I just, I don't, it's not that I don't like Roman Reigns. I don't like his work, whatever. There's just something about Roman Reigns for me that doesn't do it. And between Roman Reigns and, again, I'm in the minority in this, I've always felt that the Usos are highly overrated. Now, I've come around a little bit on the Usos because I think they're both uh, very talented. I think, you know, some of the things they do in the ring are, are phenomenal as a tag team. They have that, you know, great tag team presentation like last week we were talking about FTR. And, you know, they're yep. they're very much an FTR sort of tag team in the sense that you really can't think of one without the other. Like it's it's no. not 
Jimmy and Jay, or it's not Jimmy, it's not Jay. Even when you know they they kind of did the singles run, it, you still you can't think of one without the other. So yeah, as far as the tag team goes, they're great. But I just you know, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying that the Bloodline storyline has not been phenomenal. Not you know, it's some of the best storytelling they've done in in years, simply because it's just this slow, long build. But my problem is. I'm concerned that we're going to go to WrestleMania 40 and we're going to have the same result we did at WrestleMania 39. And if you think, if you think fans were upset about WrestleMania 39, let them sit a whole year and stew on it and wait for the rematch and then get the same thing. So I just, I don't know where they're going with it. Um, and again, the draft didn't help. Um, no, you know, you look at you look at night one, and you know you had Roman going to SmackDown, Cody staying on Raw, oh. and then mm-hmm. they say nothing about the Usos just to draft them to SmackDown on night. Two. Again, anyway, yeah, it, I feel like with every draft they do every year, you get excited, and then you realize it's so predictable where they choose who goes. The only time it's not is when they have an NXT call up to go to the main roster. Otherwise, oh, it's sure. really like. Otherwise, it's just like, hey, we're going to swap belts. Cool? Cool. That's another thing that I do not like at all. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the belt swap. Uh, and I, I'll find it interesting to see, um, you know, what happens this weekend. Because I've got to say, and, and this is jumping the gun a little bit on... The backlash preview but i gotta say if if they um based on the way that they uh drafted people and drafting rhea ripley to raw and then drafting bianca belair to smackdown but also drafting zelina vega to smackdown with rhea ripley as the smackdown women's champion they have a real opportunity here to pull uh to pull the trigger on a huge moment because if zelina vega pulls the upset off and wins that title in puerto rico that entire building is going to go insane. It's gonna, it would blow off. Absolutely. I, I was watching SmackDown earlier, and even the SmackDown crowd, because they were in San Juan too, were, were loud for everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, um, it's crazy. You know, it's gonna be a hype. Oh, that, that place is gonna be, uh, ridiculous. Um, but getting back to the draft, um, did you feel that there were any, big surprises in the draft and anything really kind of jump out at you as far as like, wow, I can't believe they, they pulled the trigger on that. I'm only surprised about the NXT call-ups. Like that's really what shocked me. Cause like every year they do the draft, they hype it up as this big thing. But then when they do it, it's like the pick seems so predictable. Like the, you, you already know which ones are going to go where I am mm-hmm. shocked that they decided to choose Indy Hartwell who just won the women's title and call her up. Um, I feel like she didn't have a good chance to actually have a ring with that belt other than an almost injury. And then she still won it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and going along with that, I mean, if you look at, you know, what they did to NXT, they have now depleted the women's roster. They have yep. taken the, the tag champs. They have taken the, uh, you know, the women's champ, you know, they're really kind of, um, depleting NXT and I find it, I find it interesting that NXT 
was allowed to have people taken from them, but they weren't allowed to do any drafting themselves. So I kind of, I kind of feel like, um, again, there's, there's a ton of names that we could talk about that just simply aren't getting used properly. And then their NXT could be a rebirth for them. I mean, look at Apollo Cruz. That's, that's a perfect example of a guy that, you know, had all the tools and then they just sort of lost sight of where to go with him. So they sent him back to NXT, kind of went back to basics with him. And he has, I mean, he's proven, I think what everybody's known all along is that he, you know, belongs on the main roster and now he's getting his call up again. So, um, that's, that's definitely, go ahead. I think what happened with a lot of NXT, at least from like a good few years was that they would call up these great superstars and then do nothing with them. Mm -hmm. Like you look at when they first brought in, um, Champa and Johnny and like, they had like the big four come on the main roster and they did nothing with the four and they all went back to, I think at some point they all went back to NXT. Yeah. It was like, they had no idea what to do with them once they got into the main roster, even though they already have a story from NXT going into the main roster. Yeah. Like, that's, that's that. Yeah. That's, that's been a, um, that's been a problem for a long time. And I mean, you know, this is not exactly, uh, on the on the same lines but but kind of going down that road is you know the slow decline of the character of bray wyatt um that thing has just gone off the rails in ways i can't describe they did some great things with him um the firefly funhouse was amazing uh some of the stuff they did with that but it's just kind of gone off the rails and i think it's more epidemic of you know the the way nxt was being run where stars were allowed to have input and wrestlers were allowed to you know uh develop a character that they wanted to be and that's how we ended up with bray wyatt that's how we ended up with the wyatt family because i i heard an interview years ago with triple h where he talked about that's exactly what they did with bray wyatt they gave him the opportunity and they said listen if you want this you take the ball and you run with it and he you know just went crazy with it um you know watching the final NXT with the Wyatt family when, you know, they were getting the call up and like, it just, um, it's amazing to me that we have, um, a developmental system where we develop these people to turn around and then just throw them away. Okay. So, um, we were talking about, uh, before our little technical difficulty there, we were talking about, uh, NXT call-ups and we had just discussed about, um, you know, uh, Bray Wyatt leaving and uh, the fact that, you know, they're they're calling people up just to sort of throw them away. Yeah, that it's just, there was a good chunk where you're like, yes, I have someone who deserves it. And then when they get to the Mimasa, you're like, what are they doing? Yeah, like absolutely. EC3, my favorite example is EC3. They had him get a pretty good run in NXT. And as soon as they called him up, it was like a week and then he was done. He lost to Ambrose, and then he was just pushed down all the way down to the card. And you look at a guy like that where he's obviously done great business in other companies that know how to use him. Um, yep. So there's there's definitely something there. But again, this was something we talked about last week where uh, it's it's hard to understand sometimes what they see in guys and what they don't see in guys, um, you know, what they're, what they're looking for, but what they're not seeing. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy, but, uh, yeah. yeah so the NXT call-ups were definitely, I think, I think mo- some of them were, some of them were expected. 
Um, but I, I think they, you know, went uh, way, way beyond what we thought they were going to do. Um, I, I do think there were a few uh, surprises in the draft. For me, um, the whole free agent thing just kind of bugs me, uh, you know, because we're talking about we're talking about having brands. And obviously, if they're going to have brands and they're going to have champions that are going to work just on those brands, why are you having free agents? Why are you having people that can hop back and forth? To me, that doesn't make any sense. And that kind of invalidates the whole idea of a, uh, uh, a draft and, and brand splits and, and whatever. I can understand the Brock Lesnar thing that I get. But beyond Brock Lesnar, announcing anybody else as a free agent just seems weird to me. It doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, I think that is was a weird thing, especially the stars that were chosen as the free agents. Um, that was a little like Baron Corbin was a free agent. I'm like, why is he a free agent? You're just throwing him on SmackDown and just called it a day. Um, it's just, I don't know. The draft to me, I always get pumped for it. At first, because I'm like, yeah, maybe some changes. And then I'm like, oh, it's not really that different. It's just, plus, like they do with the last couple of years of the drafts, it's going to last maybe a month, mm-hmm. maybe two months at the most, and then go back to just chaos and the wild card rule. You remember the wild card rule? I oh, do. that's that's the worst. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, so so they have had some really bad ideas as far as the draft goes. And and that's right up to at the top there. Um the other thing I didn't like about drafts in the past, and I'm I'm glad they at least didn't do this. I did not like the shows where they used to have like the wrestling matches that would determine who would get the pick. Like oh, I yeah, think the yeah. whole I think the whole idea of having a GM for each show and having somebody make the picks and you know, listening to some people talk about it this week, you know, they, they brought up, well, you could be doing this, you know, sort of like the NFL draft does it. You could be having executives from USA and Fox in the war rooms talking about who they yeah. want. Like, I see if they're going to do the draft, why not do it big? Why not make it, you know, uh, a, a quote unquote premium live event on peacock and just do the whole thing like an actual draft um yeah, you know have, that would have be... commentators talking about the the upcoming picks and it, it could be done a whole lot differently to make it a whole lot better it would be more interesting that way because it would feel more legit than just oh we're gonna have it on a raw and smackdown and just announce them randomly yeah and when they do stuff like that it's it just it feels like a throwaway it just feels yeah. like, you know, something we're doing just to do. Um, and I also find it interesting that, you know, uh, when they announced the draft, Triple H was like, oh, this was going to be, this is going to be a big change for WWE and tag teams could split up and all these things. None of that happened. They drafted no. tag teams together. Like yep. it, it, they drafted the LWO together, which again, I don't have a problem with, but don't you know, market it as this, you know, big thing where all these changes could happen and then none of them happen. And then right after that, Vince is back. Yeah. Like, what what was yeah. the point of having Triple H come out and claim any of that? Because nobody believes it now. Yeah. It's hard because you keep hearing like on Raw that like Vince isn't there, but he's like remotely making changes mm-hmm. for the show before it starts. Like he's not as hands-on, but he's still like, I have hands-on in things. From afar, so yeah. it's like, I mean, other than the the row after WrestleMania, it hasn't been that bad. 
that was a bad show. Um, yeah. When it should have been a great show. Yeah, there's there's so much potential there. Um, that is always been known as you know one of the biggest nights of the year, especially when you have you know the the WrestleMania crowd that is staying over you know from you know countries all over the world because they're not gonna if they're watching WrestleMania they're not gonna go home before they see Raw. There's no way. So you know yeah. you're gonna have that insane crowd there. Um, yep. So uh, again, you know, just just we might as well call the WWE the land of missed opportunities. Cause that's all we ever talk <laughs> about with them. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, um, for me, there were two other things that, um, were, were big surprises for me. Um, and, and one of them is something that I don't think anybody is really, is really thinking about, which will lead into our discussion about, the uh new world heavyweight championship because i have some thoughts on that but for me i think the biggest surprise of the draft was that damage control got drafted together to smackdown because you know leading up to the draft everything pointed toward the fact that damage control was going to split up that you know they they needed to do something uh different with that group um bailey needs to take off because bailey has since uh, it, it, the big surprise of damage control was the fact that they brought back two wrestlers that they released. And then I feel yeah. like once that sort of shine fell off of it, there wasn't much there and you, but you had great performers that were still kind of holding up their end of the deal. But I feel like, I feel like Bailey's a superstar just waiting to happen. And I, I, I wonder when she's going to get back to form. And I felt like the draft was going to be her chance. Yeah. But uh n- not so much apparently. <laughs> not to jump too much into the backlash preview, but thinking about backlash, they could have a big moment where they do have an idea of the damage control breaking up if they have Bailey or Dakota turn on EO costing her the match against um can't think of the champion's name right now. Rhea Ripley. Oh, uh, I mean, Bianca Belair. Yes. I don't know why my brain just went backwards. Um Bianca Belair and have her lose because of either Bailey or Dakota or both. Sure. Sure. Um, I I mean, there, there is a lot they could do. I, I don't, I just, I don't know where they're going with that. So, um, it's, it's hard to kind of envision, you know, what they, what they might be doing with that now. Um, I did forget about this one and I'll just throw this out there before we kind of lead into the world heavyweight championship talk. Trish Stratus getting drafted. What's that all about? I mean, I feel like I it's not. I don't think it's going to be long term. I feel like they're just doing this because they're going to have probably her versus Becky at SummerSlam. So they're going mm-hmm. to so have her be with the company for at least through August. Yeah. So have her be on Raw with Becky and then build up the match towards SummerSlam. And then yeah, I think I go away and just not and just take another long break for a while. Yeah, I can't imagine her really doing a full schedule and, you know, being there every week and, you know, enough to build up to SummerSlam, like you said, but I just, yeah, I don't see that long term either. Now, my other big surprise, and this one directly leads right into our World Heavyweight Championship discussion, only because I I must be the only person that is thinking about this, because Again, I've I've heard many people talk about the draft. I've heard wrestlers talk about the draft. I've heard wrestling personalities talk about the draft. And I don't think anybody 
has brought this up. But for me, the draft, and especially after the announcement of the new world title, was the perfect time to split up the street profits. And here's why. So everybody thinks that, you know, um, Montez Ford is going to be this huge star. So they keep the street profits on Raw. And Montez Ford, um, you know, he wants to go after the title, but he's he's concerned because, you know, he's got this great tag team that's been going on forever, and he's, he's yep. friends with Angelo Dawkins, and they're tight, and he doesn't want to break up the tag team. But when Angelo Dawkins finds out that Montez Ford wants to go for the title, Angelo Dawkins gives him the blessing, says, you know what, fam, do this. I got your back. Street Profits forever. You want to be world champ, you know, Go get that title and bring it. So everything's great. Montez Ford wins the title. So we can kind of do like the the Montez Ford sort of, you know, big star gimmick, you know, this this whole nine yards and kind right. of distance him a little from the Street Profits while Angelo Dawkins continues to do like the Street Profit gimmick. Like now he's yeah. he's the lone Street Profit. So let's say we get down the line uh, somewhere later in the year where we've kind of distanced the two of them. We, we have different, um, gimmicks for them, different feuds, you know, they're really not connecting with each other. And we come up to a pay-per-view, be it, I don't know, maybe survivor series or something in December, something, you know, um, it doesn't have to necessarily be a huge pay-per-view. It could be one of the smaller ones, but Angelo Dawkins uh, comes up to Montez Ford because Montez Ford doesn't have a challenger yet. So Angelo says, hey, man, I would love to challenge you for the title. Like, I'd love to go one on one and just, you know, see what we've got. And, uh, you know, I, I think we could have a great match. And, you know, we, we've been friends for a long time and I supported you going after this title. And then Bianca Belair gets in the ear of Montez and says, don't do it. Don't do it. Because what happens if he wins? Then everything everything we've built so far is gone. And this is where we do the slow turn on Montez. So Montez goes against her and gives Angelo the match. And she helps Montez cheat to win the match. And this is the heel turn for Montez that I think could be magic. But guess what? We're not going to see any of that. We're not going to get any of that because the Street Profits are going to SmackDown where who knows what's going to happen because the tag team scene is just whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think they're going to end up, I think they're going to end up playing second fiddle to the Usos or, you know, any other number of tag teams on SmackDown. They're not going to get, because they've been around for so long and, you know, yeah. Street Profits are what they are. We know what we're getting. Um, yep. They're amazing talents, but who knows? I mean, we could see them try the we could see them try the split on SmackDown. I I feel it's like good. I feel like by WrestleMania 40, the Street Profits will be no more, and Montez Ford will be going on to bigger and better things. Which again slightly worries me about Angelo Dawkins. Not that I don't think he's talented. I think he's just going to get lost in the mix without like the, the, the without Montez Ford. I think he's just going to get lost in the shuffle. I mean, I feel like there are times where they're both equal, like in terms of their, you know, star quality, their mic work, their charisma, their in-ring agility. Like, I think like Angelo Dawkins has been showing up. I've been watching their matches. Angelo Dawkins has been like, kind of like, hey, what you can do, I can do almost better. Like it's kind of been tit for tat. So 
And it is interesting because people are noticing that. Like people are yeah. making comments that like, hey, you know, like Angelo Dawkins is really trying to up his game. And again, I I don't I mean, I see that. I, I don't have any issues with that at all. My feeling is that if they split the team, they're really only gonna put the push on one of them. So I'm worried that Angelo Dawkins is gonna kind of fall off sort of, you know, mid card and, and maybe hang around. I mean, look look what happened when uh look what happened when they split up heavy machinery. Otis became a huge superstar and where is Tucker? And then Tucker just went vanished, poof, gone. I I like I like to call tag team partners disappearing like that. I'm gonna call it from now on the Tucker effect because it's just <laughs> man good... disappeared, and it's it's yep. a shame too because they were they were a great tag team, um, very yeah. sort of throwback reminiscent of teams like the Natural Disasters and um, you know just these big monstrous teams. But you know uh, it's again it's all in what they see in people and they saw something and notice. So, uh, yeah. So what, what are, what are your thoughts on the world heavyweight championship? What are your thoughts on the design of the belt? Do we need another belt? What, what do you, what do you got? First of all, I just think they should have just split the universal and WWE title and just call it as that. They could have easily had like a drew or like a Cody or whoever, take one of the belts off of Reigns and bring it to Raw. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're like, no, we're going to have Reigns keep both titles and make a whole new one for Raw. Now, yeah. when I first saw the title, my first thought was, wow, they took the big gold belt and smacked the logo on front of it. And I'm like, I don't like that at first. At first, I was like, I don't, I'm not, why would they just, why wouldn't they just bring back the big gold belt rather than just take a new one and say, oh, hey, here's a big WWE on it because it's our brand. Mm. Um, but after giving it a few weeks of looking at it, I don't mind it anymore. I think I could get used to it based on who they make the first champion, which I think I'm hoping isn't Cody, because that would defeat the whole purpose of finishing his story. Um, and I hope that they do that story separately from the World Heavyweight Championship. I feel like sure. they could give it to either like a Rollins or somebody that, is been on raw forever that could hold the title for at least a few months until they figure out how they want to start changing the guards of the belts. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the design of the belt. Um, I, I do see where it's sort of just a rip off of the big gold belt. Um, but I, I mean, I'm okay with the look of the belt. Um, I definitely don't want Cody to win it. Cause I do feel like that's like the consolation prize. I feel like that's, I feel like that would honestly take away from the story with Roman because I think that I think there are great ways for them to go about, um, you know, continuing that that story with Roman, even though they're on separate brands. Um, You know, that's that's a that's a discussion for another day because I got a big plan for that. And maybe we'll maybe we'll throw that into uh, next week's conversation where we talk about, you know, how are they going to get the two of them back together? Because honestly, I mean, we all know it. WrestleMania 40 is going to have to be Cody and Roman. They have to finish the story. Um, yeah. And I don't think they can wait much longer than that. I don't think they can pull the trigger before that, you know, because they, they blew the big moment at WrestleMania 39. So if you're going to take a chance on blowing that huge moment, you cannot 
you cannot make it less. You you have to you have to you know get that big moment back. So I don't think they can finish it before forty. I don't think they can take it much longer than forty. Um, you know, but but who knows? Um, you know, again, we're looking at the world of the WWE where. I mean, when they say never say never and they say anything can happen, they are not kidding. Um, no, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's all about, it's all about what's best for business. And so many times that's, what's not best for fans, but still, I mean, we, we keep paying the money, you know, yep. uh, I, I heard somebody this week mention about, um, you know, WWE had one of their biggest years ever, uh, in yeah. the last year, the biggest WrestleMania, the biggest Royal rumble, the biggest SummerSlam. So like obviously things are working, but um, you know fans are just overlooking the bad creative. I yep. think that's really what it is. They're overlooking that bad creative. So um, you know, again, uh, I do think you're right, though. Uh, we don't need another title. Um, I don't. I don't know how I could really see them, you know, splitting the titles because I still feel like if if they put one title on the line and had Cody beat Roman for one title, I feel like that's super predictable. Like they, they could have, I, I just, I, I see that coming a mile away and predictable is not always bad, but in that instance, I think it would have, um, you know, lessened the story a little bit. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they fix this. I don't know how they get out of it. Um, I've got my ideas, but, uh, I guess, you know, we're going to see what they end up doing and we're going to see pretty soon, I think, where things are going to be headed and what direction they're going in because we've got Cody in a big profile match this weekend. Uh, we've got, yep, Saturday. you know, the big the big premium live event uh, on Peacock this Saturday night at uh, 8 o'clock. We've got Backlash emanating from Puerto Rico, which is going to be insane. I think they're going to really sort of go all out for this, uh, Puerto Rico show. I'm excited for that. I love when, um, you know, I love when the venue and the location is a part of the big hype. I think that yeah. makes, you know, that's, that's part of why all in at Wembley is so, uh, such an exciting, um, prospect because, you know, the the event the host city uh the the stadium that's that's all a part of the excitement of the event so i i think that we are going to see crowds that are just going to be off the hook on saturday night they're just going to be so yeah. excited to see um to see wwe again uh and especially you know some of the big profile matches that are happening this this weekend um it's it's kind of it's kind of elevating backlash and it's interesting because i don't even think you know cody and brock lesnar is obviously going to be the main event and i don't even think that's the most interesting match on the card um so uh, let's uh let's take a look at the let's take a look at the card we'll we'll run down the card from uh bottom to top however yep. however it looks and uh we'll just kind of give our thoughts so this could this depending on what happens coming up at at night of champions as well this could be a, a big profile match as it relates to that world heavyweight title but we've got seth rollins and omos yeah and, which i think was randomly thrown together in the first place but somehow they made it work to build it 
Yeah, um, you know, every once in a while they're able to pull off that magic, but I, I feel like um, Omos sometimes is just, uh, I feel like there's built-in feuds with him just because of, of who he is, and yeah. you know, the, the fact that they that the announcers will openly discuss that, you know, they, they feel like he could be a, a future world champion. And there's just, there's so much about him that, uh, I, I feel like he's one of those guys that you could just start building feuds because people want to, you know, take down the biggest dude in the yard. Like, you yeah. Know, um, but anytime Seth Rollins wrestles is, uh, exciting. It's a spectacle. It's a show. Um, so I, I highly expect that, to open the card just because I think Seth Rollins is such uh such an exciting personality in the ring. Um I, I think you know he he steps out he steps out of the entrance, whatever it's gonna look like, and that crowd is gonna be singing along with him and that is just gonna set the tone for a raucous evening. Now do you think the match goes more than five minutes? Uh I don't know. Um, I, I, I would think it, I would think it might. Um, I don't see, I don't see Omos being involved in extremely long matches, but then again, I also don't see Seth Rollins just going out there for five minutes. So, um, it's, it's kind of hard to determine how long I think this one's going to go. I don't know if Omos can go that long. I mean, who knows? Uh, but I, and again, I think this one has big implications for the world heavyweight title because these yeah. are two names. These are two names that have been have been talked about. I mean, if Omos wins that title, you are looking at uh, what could be a very interesting uh, course of action for Monday Night Raw because they're talking yeah. about having this title defended every week. And yep. like you know, here's this big giant that now is as scary as it is the world champion and like you have got to take him down now and who's going to be you know who's going to be the one to to chop the tree down my problem with Omos and this might be a hot take but to me he feels like a modern day great colleague with a better look um yeah better he has a better physique he kind of has the he can talk to a certain extent Kali mm. couldn't talk a lick of English. Right. Um, but I just feel like he's not the greatest in the ring because he's a giant. Like, sure. nothing to me has, like, Braun Strowman is giant, but he can move in the ring. Mm -hmm. Omos has had so many short matches. We don't know if he can go a full 15, 20 minutes for a match. Well well, and it, and it seems like he's been around for a while, but he really hasn't. We, you know, when we look at the amount of time he's had in his career compared to, you know, some of these other big men, um, but even with him being able to, to talk a little bit on the mic, obviously they don't, uh, trust him enough to go out there because they've put him with MVP. So obviously, you know, they're, they're trying to, to, to build him without really having to rely on his promo skills but uh yeah i i think my only concern with this match and i really think seth rollins is still going over but what do they do with omos after because omos is not one in a while he needs a big profile no. win but what you know if if seth rollins does win this and i see that happening on his way to a possible 
world title run after Night of Champions. I don't know what they do with Omos from here. Um, you know, you've got you've got uh, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander are free agents now, so they could you know, possibly, you know, do a, a hurt business thing again. Um, yeah, who knows? Uh, it's... I, would love that. I feel like they were such a short lived, but great group. That mm-hmm. I think they deserve at least one more try as a faction and do and add Omos to the mix and have it be Omos, Cedric, Benjamin and Bobby Lashley. Yeah. And, and I like the fact that, you know, MVP was kind of like running the group from the outside, but also could wrestle at times. Like yeah. he could still go. So I, I love the fact that they had a quote unquote manager that could still strap on the tights and show somebody, you know, the business end of a whooping. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. We're now, we've got, uh, we've got some title matches. Very interesting. Uh, we got the U S championship. Austin theory is defending against Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. And, my concern with this is that, um, and again, I think Bronson Reed is the wild card here because I think Bronson Reed is phenomenal. I think he is a great talent, um, but I I get the feeling like this is going to be all about Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley again. Yeah, and I'm worried that Bronson Reed is just going to get lost in the shuffle of, you know, the the next step in the Lashley and Theory feud. Yeah, I feel like with Bronson Reed, and I hope I'm wrong when I say this, because but I've been watching him on the shows, and I feel like his transition from NXT to the main roster did not go over as smoothly as maybe the higher-ups thought. Because you hear him go out, and there's little to no reaction when he walks out. Mm. There's no pop or boo. There's just, oh, it's Bronson Reed. I feel like they haven't had done almost enough to build him up so that way the fans could adapt and like or dislike him. They just sure. know that, that he exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he definitely did not have the NXT push machine behind him uh, when he went to the main roster. So there's, there's definitely a lack of, uh, and I don't know if it's a lack of concern for his character or, or what it is backstage that they don't, you know, um, give him the, the sort of push that he had down there. I don't know if they don't think it can translate over to larger crowds or, or, or what the deal is, but um, in any instance, I, I don't see, I don't see any way that uh, Austin theory doesn't win this one. Um, I, I think they're just going to keep for the most part. I think they're going to keep the status quo here and just kind of, you know, roll with Austin theory. Um, I think he's a superstar. I think, He's eventually on his way to a world title. Uh, I think they're very yeah. high on him. So, uh, but it, it, I mean, hopefully we'll get a good match out of it. Uh, that's I'm that's sure the important thing. It'll be a great match. I just feel like there's we already know the outcome, unless they yeah. do shock us and have Bronson we win the belt. But yeah. would that translate after San Juan? Because of course they're going to react. They're in a sure. huge uh, venue, a huge crowd. But then what happens on Raw when he takes the belt back? I mean. He's down SmackDown yeah. now. What happens on SmackDown when Bronson Reed, Bronson Reed say wins it and takes it to SmackDown? Do they sure. cheer on what he did in San Juan, or is it just a, oh, it's Bronson Reed? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, oh boy. Uh, so yeah, so we've got uh, we've got the Tucker effect, and from now on, when something doesn't excite us, it's going to be oh, it's Bronson Reed. I like <laughs> Bronson it. Reed. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So, uh, moving on and, and here's where things get interesting because I feel like, okay, so we've got both women's titles on the line and I'm going to lump them together just for the moment. Uh, we've got raw women's champion, Bianca Belair defending against EO sky, which I think is going to be a phenomenal match because, uh, people do not sleep on EO sky. She is, uh, she is a talent. And then She's you've got, Oh, she is. Uh, I, I love watching her. Um, I, I loved her in, uh, the, uh, the war games match. Um, just, oh my God. She's, so good. Uh, yeah, just a, just a performance of a lifetime. And then you've got Rhea Ripley defending the SmackDown women's champion against Zelina Vega, but here's the rub. Rhea Ripley is a raw superstar and Bianca Belair is a SmackDown superstar. So are we, I mean, are we literally looking at two foregone conclusions as for title changes? And the Do only you reason really I think they would switch Bianca and she's almost at her like biggest. Uh, they're saying that if she wins on Saturday, that she'll be the longest reigning Raw Women's Champion in history. Do you think they're really going to well, squander that by having Io Sky beat her? I I I don't know. See, there, there's such a. Um, I feel like here, here's the thing. I feel like, um, Zelina Vega is, I, I think Zelina Vega is so close to being a lock for winning this match against Rhea Ripley. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen with the raw women's championship. Um, I feel like, I feel like Bianca Belair is, uh, the, the longer tenured of the two women's champions. But if we look at it like that and we say, okay, are we really going to make the, the change with Bianca Belair? Are we really going to make the change with Rhea Ripley? I mean, she just picked up the title at Mania. Now, my, my thought about that is they cheered her at Mania like she was the, uh, the face in the match. And when she wins the title, then she goes back to the heel faction judgment day. So, I mean, if she continues to be world champion, are they really going to... Um, you know, continue to, to cheer her. She's obviously going to be the heel in this match either way. I mean, yeah. fans were so excited for her to get that title shot at mania and then win the belt. But this is Lena Vega. We're talking about now who yeah. is, if, yeah. if bad bunny wasn't around, she'd be the face of this, uh, entire premium live event. So, yeah. uh, it's just the, I guess my big thing is, and this is something I think that we're going to end up talking about a lot, but will they pull the trigger? That's the big thing. Will they pull the trigger and make changes? I think that we'll the draft is this. the part. If yeah. they decide to just switch the belts just because of the draft and have new champions, that would be, in my eyes, one of the stupidest things you could do. Because, like, it's just yeah. that obvious. Mm-hmm. I would say just keep the status quo, have everyone defend them with their belts, win them, have Cody beat Brock, everyone goes home happy or sad, depending on <laughs> how you look at it. Sure. But it's just, Backlash was never, I feel like Backlash itself was never supposed to be a big thing. I mean, maybe when it first started, because they had th those awesome, like, sword crosses as the, as the entranceway, which I loved. Um, oh, I so miss that. But, like, since they brought it back, it's just kind of been like, oh, hey, here's a show after Mania. And it hasn't yeah. really had a good track record of being really good the last few years. 
Yeah. Um, it, you know, this, uh, this year's completely different. I, I mean, I can't, you know, I, I can't really imagine many pay-per-views I've been excited about directly after WrestleMania, but this is, this is a lot different this year. And I, I feel like they're trying to, I feel like they're trying to make things make everything bigger now so um, yeah absolutely you know i i think uh i don't know it's it's such it's such a toss-up um you know if if eo sky doesn't win you could have damage control involved and be that the catalyst for the breakup if eo sky does win you could have the jealousy from uh you know bailey and dakota kai be the be the catalyst that breaks them up you know that yeah. that world that world title could be the actual centerpiece of the breakup. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things they could do. Um, I will be the first to say that, that uh, I'm probably and again uh, I'm in the minority in all of this. I'm sure, but I'm tired of Bianca <laughs> Belair. I, I'm I'm done with her. Uh, I I think she's I think she's a great talent, but for me it's just I I think it's the Roman Reigns syndrome where it's just it's the same thing over and over again. And I get tired yeah. of that after a while. And I think I'm I'm ready for something new um, as far as a women's champion goes. And I think if if Eosky wins the title, I think there are so many possibilities of people that she could work with and just have a phenomenal run of matches defending this yeah. title. I, I, do, I do agree 100%. You're right about that. Eosky, again, just the talent that she has, she can go with almost anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this next match, uh, and I, I, I'm just going to throw it out and then I'm going to ask your interest level on a scale of one to 10 Matt Riddle and the tag champs, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the bloodline on a scale of one to 10. What is your interest in this match? I'll be honest. I'm at like a seven or an eight just because I Uh only because I'm fully invested in Owens and Zayn. I have been for a very long time. I met mm-hmm. Owens back in 2016. He's a, he's a, he's a teddy bear. Um, mm-hmm. He's the nicest dude you ever meet. But like, I've been an Owens and Zayn fan for a long time. So anything that involves them, whether it's them together or apart, in any start match, I want to see. Also, I feel like, as always, this continues the bloodline storyline. So I'm just, I'm so invested in that by now that I just want to know what the next chapter in that story is going to be. Sure. So... I will say that my interest for this match is a three and I will tell you why <laughs> the, the reason that the reason that it gets at least three out of it is for the same reason that you just talked about. I'm totally 100% invested in Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Uh, I've been following them forever as well. Uh, I've, I've met both of them. They're fantastic. And uh, I, I love that, you know, these guys that have had these super long careers um, and super long careers that have been totally intertwined. Um, I love that they are now where they're at. Um, I think the moment at mania when they won the title was absolutely huge. I think that could have ended night two, to be honest and sent fans home happy. Um, But I understand, you know, why they did it on night one. I understand the whole thing with Roman and the Usos and I understand why they did it. I get it. But that was like, for me, that was the feel good moment of WrestleMania. And so now for me, as much as I'm invested in 
Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, and I'm invested in continuing their bloodline story. I'm also invested in them being the tag team champions now, and it feels a little, um, it feels a little off to me. And I know again, Backlash is not one of the one of the big pay per views, but if you're going to spend this much time and investment in the pay per view, and you're going to make you know try and make it as big as possible, especially you know going down to Puerto Rico and all these things, um, you know you shouldn't have your tag titles defended. Same thing yeah. with the Intercontinental title. I don't know why the Intercontinental title is not being defended at this show. Uh, that's just a, a glaring omission to me uh, because I feel like every premium live event should feature Gunther because I feel like Gunther is the premium live wrestler. I think he is. Absolutely. I think he will steal any show that he's on. I think you'll have a great match with anybody. And I feel like, you know, if we really want to build this intercontinental title to mean something. And obviously the match they had at mania, the triple threat, you know, put the IC title back on the map as far as uh work rate and just an exciting match goes. But I feel like that's a glaring omission, but back to Sammy Zayn and Owens, I just, I don't feel like you're ever doing the champions, any service and you're ever doing the titles, any service by not having those titles defended at premium live events. If they're not going to defend them every week, then what's the point of building up to a premium live event just to have them not defended again? So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I feel, I feel like premium live events are where titles should be defended. I feel like that's the thing. No, I, I totally see your point on that. I just, like I said, it's, it's not so much the match itself because I kind of feel like I know who's gonna win, but it's mm-hmm. Owens and Zayn. I just want to see them do their their magic because yeah. anytime well, they're in the ring, it's just like. Well, and you you take you take Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, and you throw in Matt Riddle, and <laughs> excuse me, that's just a recipe for amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I. I remember, I remember seeing Matt Riddle on the indie days and, um, I mean, the guy is just, uh, the guy is just a superstar and can definitely hold his own in the ring on that team. So I think there's a lot of talent in this match and I think they're going to really, you know, pull off some amazing things. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's going to be a really good match. Um, I do see your point that it could be a three, but I guess just because like I said, I, I've so invested in this bloodline story that like i just want to see it where it ends um yeah. i thought it was gonna end at uh you know mania when everything happened you know that would be the big blow off but of course it was just usos that lost and reigns won at night two which by the way the ic match at night two best match of the night oh the ic match on night two was unbelievable honestly um that that was my favorite match of wrestlemania out of the whole entire show um Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens was a close second because their match was just exciting from beginning to end. And you could feel, you could feel the moment building and building, but the work rate and just the brutal physicality in that triple threat match. Um, we have not seen, we have not seen a triple threat match with three just monsters go in there and really give it to each other. I think in a long time. And, and that's, that's a, to me, that was a throwback to, uh, like serious eighties wrestling. Um, you know, they just three huge guys in there just being physical and brutal with each other. And, uh, you know, 
the the right guy came out on top, but any one of them could have taken that match easily. I I was pulling for Sheamus. I would have been yeah. excited because yeah. I mean, you you could feel the crowd get behind people during this match, and you could feel the crowd conflicted as to who they wanted to win because these guys were just putting like their heart and soul in this match. They were letting it all on the line. They were just like it was as if they said, "All right, you three, just go." Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and that they they made if that's what they did, they made the right choice. Um, so I again, I feel like it's a disservice to the title and the champion that that we're not seeing that defended. But not not my show, not my decisions. Of course. <laughs> um, but uh, so that leaves us with our our I think our big two matches left. These are the two I think that are going to be the most. Uh, the most interesting, the most uh, people are going to be interested in these, I think. Uh, you have Bad Bunny and Damian Priest in a Puerto Rico street fight. And I will say that uh, if if I had to pick an excitement level on this one, I'd be like an 11 and a half. I'm super excited for this match as well. And I think, I feel like I could be wrong because I feel like it's, WWE can predict things, but I feel like mm-hmm. they might actually make that the main event of the show. They're in San Juan. I would be okay with that. Um, and you know, uh, I think, and part of part of what I think could help that is that uh, WWE is really high on on Bad Bunny, and I've I've heard some uh, wrestlers talk about him, and they talk about uh his his work ethic and his respect for the business and just the way he handles himself around other wrestlers he's he's a fan but he gets what they do and he takes it seriously and he Absolutely. takes his he takes his role in the ring seriously um oh yeah you, he, you could tell that he you know took his time trained up right understood mm-hmm. the process like he really took his time to get make sure that he was ready to actually be in the ring like his first few matches sure. were, i was stunned I was like, this guy knows it. He has it down. Like same yeah. thing with like when Logan Paul came in, and I was like, oh, why Logan Paul? But then he did three matches and shut us all up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Bad Bunny is a spectacle to see. He, uh, you know, he and and the fact that it's a street fight. Um, it, for me, I think what really sold me on it was. Uh, when when Bad Bunny came out and just took it to Damian Priest with the kendo stick, like that was ridiculous. This, this guy's all in. Like this this guy is re- and in Puerto Rico. I mean, this is like th- this is like one of the legit biggest musical acts in the world right now. And and this oh, yeah. guy is in Puerto Rico for a WWE premium live event where he is practically headlining the show. And I feel like he is going to go out there and give the uh, fans in attendance a, a match like they've never seen. So I'm, I'm really, my excitement level for that one is super high. Um, I think that's going to be great. And I would absolutely be okay with that being the main event. I feel like that could, uh, that could really main event a show. It, it absolutely, it, it could. Cause again, like you said, bad bunny puts in the work and I feel like, especially because he's been friends with Damian priest and he's team with Damian priest. They both already have that kind of cohesion where you know it's going to be a good match. Yeah, and honestly, the fact that we're talking about Bad Bunny so much takes nothing away from Damian Priest because that guy has yeah. slowly been becoming the superstar that he should be. 
I mean, you saw it from day one, and you saw just the rise of this um, sort of, uh, you know, almost like underground character just kind of building and building and building. And the guy's the guy's putting it in. I mean, he's becoming a superstar now. You see him. Uh, I, I've heard others talk about like the fact that he's upgraded his ring gear and he's he's looking the part of a superstar now because he is a superstar and I think um, for them to for them to give him this spot where they say okay you're gonna work with Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico in this Puerto Rican street fight and I mean think about uh, you know think about guys from the entertainment world that come into wrestling. So think about all the, you know, the management team they have, the insurance team that they have, all these people that manage their career. And this guy goes out there and one thing goes wrong and his music career could be over. Like his meal yeah. ticket could be gone. And they're trusting Damian Priest to get in there with him and keep him safe and work with him. And uh, it's it's I, I think that's not just a big honor for Damian Priest, but it says a lot about the the wrestler that he's become and and how much wwe trusts him yeah i think since being in the judgment day he really has grown into his own mm -hmm. since the whole thing started with edge first like he because he was the first like disciple that joined yeah. edge yeah and then even and then from there then on he just skyrocketed and he just kind of made that whole character his own and really honed into that sure. judgment day dark character and like He's almost, he does like most of the promos other than Rhea Ripley and Finn Bauer. He's mm -hmm. like almost, he's always the first person you hear and then you hear the other two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, even, even before he got to the main roster, you could just tell that he was bigger than the show. He, he was oh, just, yeah. he was just breaking out and it, it, just biding his time until the right opportunity came. So, uh, good for him. I think him and Bad Bunny are going to kill it. Uh, it's going to be a great match. I'm very excited for that. But that takes us to our final match on the card, Cody and Brock. Uh, I will be interested to see. I'll be interested to see where this goes. I'll be interested to see how much they protect Cody. Um, yeah. Cody is uh, Cody is obviously a, a future player, a superstar. Uh, you know, a part of their future plans and Brock is just a monster. So are they going to let yeah. Cody and Brock go out there and just go? Um, or are they going to sort of hold back maybe and, and protect Cody a little bit? I don't know the answer to that question. I would hope that they would just let the two of them go. Cause I think, you know, uh, a, a first time big main event like this for, for Cody and Brock together, I think they could really, you know, make some magic in the ring together. My concern is what if this is just another step in the redemption arc and Brock wins over Cody? All right. So interesting thought, because that's where I that's where I would like to see it go. Because I want and and again, I, I think we'll we'll talk about our ideas for Cody. And, and Roman and how they're going to get to 40 on, on another episode. But I really feel like they need, Cody needs to lose everything. Cody needs to lose to Brock. He needs to, uh, and, and he does not need to lose to Brock cleanly either. I feel like there could be some sort of interference from somebody outside of the situation. I feel like Cody needs to lose money in the bank. 
I think he needs to get, and he's about to win it. And somebody comes out of the crowd, another wrestler takes him out and somebody else wins. I feel like Cody should be number one in the rumble fight all the way to 30 and then get dumped. And then the night after the rumble be like, listen, I have tried everything to get to Roman. It's, it's not working. Um, and he's like, I don't care about brands. I don't care about the rumble. I don't care about money in the bank. Roman knows he can't beat me cleanly. He didn't do it at WrestleMania 39. He needed help and he knows he can't beat me cleanly. And I want another shot at him. So then Paul Heyman comes out and Paul Heyman says, you know, uh, who do you, who do you think has been orchestrating this whole show? Who do you think got you on raw when Roman was on SmackDown? Who do you think hired so-and-so to take you out at money in the bank? Who do you think had so-and-so on their side to take you out at the rumble? Like I've been orchestrating this whole plan to keep you away from Roman. And you think I'm going to let you fight him now just because you, you want to fight him. And Roman's going to be the one to say, you know what? I need to put him down. This needs to end now. This story for Cody needs to end because I need to end it and I need to end him. So that's that's my big plan. Wouldn't that technically be a rehash remix of the rock Cena too? Uh, it would, but I'm okay with that. Cause I, I still think, um, cause I, I, so here's two things I think about this whole storyline. Um, we've had the bloodline going on forever. Okay. And I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret. Cause I think this is, I think this is something that, and I don't know if this is true and I don't even know if this is a secret. I just think it's something that I think, and I'm really excited about thinking this because I feel like if this ends up being the case, I mean, I'm going to go on every social media. I'm going to change the intro of the show to talk about how I was right about this one moment, but I don't think the bloodline storyline this whole time has been about Roman and his championship title. I think the bloodline storyline the whole time has secretly been about Sammy and Jay. And I think it's going to get back to that. And I think eventually it's going to end up being about Sammy and Jay. Anyways, that's the bloodline part of it. But then, um, you've heard you know, your first, that's a prediction. That is a prediction. I think the bloodline story is ultimately about Sammy and Jay. I also think that the Cody and, Roman thing is not necessarily about Cody and Roman. I think the story of the title reign is about Cody being the one to end the historic reign. But I think ultimately the story of Roman reigns is going to be, um, his, his fall from grace as the head of the table, his expulsion from the Island of relevancy and what's going to put him back on the map, challenging the rock. And I think that's how they're going to get to Rome because everybody's been thinking that Roman and rock is going to be, that was like, because it didn't happen at 39, everybody thought that was going to be the plan for 40. Well, now everybody's talking about the plan for 40 being Cody and Roman because we didn't get the moment at 39. We should have, and Cody needs to finish his story. I still think that they are going to use 40 as a vehicle to get the rock and Roman reigns together in the ring. I could even see the rock being at 40. I'm secretly hoping that cause I'm going to be there, but, um, I, I really think that 
I really think that they are kind of snowballing everybody. I think that the bloodline story is really about Sammy and Jay and the Roman title thing is not about who beats him for the title. It's about how we get to Roman and the rock. So you have both of those first here. So just remember that if any of those two things, if any of those two things come true, it's all you're going to hear about me uh, from me probably forever. I'm just going to talk about it constantly. Spoilers, AKA Paul Heyman. Oh yeah. So, um, (laughs) but I, I honestly, I mean, I really do hope that, uh, Brock beats Cody. I, I feel like that's the right way to go. And honestly, though, if if Brock does beat, I mean, that kind of plays into your thought that the Puerto Rican street fight might be the main event. Because if yeah. they want to send everybody home on a good note, Brock beats Cody, um, like destroys him in the ring. And then we have the street fight and, you know, Bad Bunny sends everybody home happy. Yep. That would actually make the most sense if they do go with Brock winning. Yeah. Brock I, win. They all boo him, they all get upset, and then they do mm-hmm. Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest. They blow the house off, have a great match, and then everyone's home happy yeah. and pleased and ready to go home. Yeah, I love it. All right. So, uh, you know, next week we will see uh, if our backlash predictions have come true. We will uh, obviously have some new, uh, interesting wwe storylines to talk about i imagine because i feel like um you know wrestlemania is is always kind of like the the start of the new year and the next chapter but i feel like backlash is really going to set up some of the major storylines going forward i think we we had a little bit to kind of get us from wrestlemania to here but with this being the first premium live event after mania i think we're going to get some of our major storylines going forward from there so i i think we're going to have a great deal to uh react to next week and hopefully some of our predictions come true yeah so all right so uh with our backlash discussion in the books it is now time to get to our featured topic of the week which our featured topic of the week is our picks for the top five factions in the history of professional wrestling the the best factions the most influential factions the factions that we feel are uh just the 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 top of the heap because wrestling factions have been around probably as long as 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 wrestling has been around um and we have seen some some really great ones we've gone through some periods where there have been really bad ones um yeah but we we did set uh, and and this is our twist here. We did set some parameters for this discussion, and the parameters were that in picking five uh, stables or factions that that we feel are are the best, we could not select Degeneration X, the NWO, or the Four Horsemen uh, because we felt that those are go tos for everybody and. You really can't have a wrestling discussion about factions or stables without bringing up those three. So you, and you can't say anything that hasn't already been said. So I feel like, uh, you know, there are a lot of great other factions out there that deserve their moment in the sun. So our list will not be including any of those three. Um, and for those of you who are listening, who, uh, obviously can't see us. Uh, we have, uh, once again, donned the wrestling shirts for the occasion. Uh, Sean has <laughs> his, 
awesome undisputed era shirt on which is phenomenal i have my uh nwo hall of fame shirt uh great nice. story behind great story behind this one my wife is not a huge wrestling fan but she will watch wrestling with me and when i was so excited about the nwo going into the hall of fame the night of wrestlemania she saw an advertisement for wwe shop and she instantly went on there found the nwo hall of fame shirt and ordered it for me so um the the wife is slowly coming around to supporting my <laughs> uh wrestling habit she's she's gone to some indie shows with me and um she she will be attending wrestlemania with me next year uh so that's very exciting um i hope to see you there yeah yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun week um my plan right now is to be in philly for most of the week uh probably like wednesday to tuesday um because i'm gonna try and catch as as much as i can uh get to as many things as i can uh i'm i'm watching for all the great indie shows that are going to be in the area um because they they do some great shows that weekend so i'm definitely going to want to try and catch as as much as i can and being only an hour down the turnpike from uh philly it's uh easy to get down there for everything so uh yeah it, it should be it should be a good time um but back to our main event so we are ready to start discussing the best uh factions uh in in wrestling history that that we feel are the are the top five so sean why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your uh first choice i'll do my first one um this one i just thought about like when i was little who did who immediately came to mind growing up that i watched and the one that really stood out to me, even though they were very short-lived, was Right to Censor. Excellent choice. That was Stevie Richards, Bo Buchanan, The Good Father, Val Venus, and Ivory. They were actually a parody of the Parents Television Council because they were actively campaigning against how violent and sexual the wrestling show was in the late 90s. So they just said, hey, what is parody off of that and make the Right to Censor? which is basically what they did when they were a group. They would just ban anything that was sexual or too violent as a way to mock the PTC. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely a groundbreaking gimmick, um, you know, way ahead of their time. Um, again, this is another one of those things, I think, where we look at WWE and we say, you know, this is, this is a great idea, and I'm surprised that they went ahead and pulled the trigger on it because instead of shying away from all the conversation and and the backlash and all that stuff they just steered right into it they just embraced it they just like up oh, this is us this is what we do and they just embraced and, it and and for being such a great faction right to censor may actually go down in wrestling history uh with the exception of brie bella they're probably the worst entrance theme of all time so annoying that's why i remember them because their theme is so synonymous as soon as you hear you're like nope nope i'm i'm done now turn it off because it's just the same noise for like a minute. Yeah. It was like nails on a chalkboard, but a lot of that. It's it's interesting because they kind of took a lot of wrestlers that either hadn't really seen the shine that they should have or were getting to do something a little different. Um, I I know a, a little bit about, you know, Stevie Richards, one of uh one of my 
good friends who was a professional wrestler for for a long time um he was yes he was a huge stevie richards fan so um actually when when i worked for uh pcwa uh, out of mount carmel pennsylvania we brought in stevie richards a couple times and he had a really great time uh he said anytime you guys want me to to come back i will come back he uh went out during intermission and signed autographs for anybody that wanted an autograph for nothing like he was taking pictures signing autographs. he was stevie richards was a phenomenal person i met him again years later uh when he was doing the bwo with uh, chikara during king of trios weekend and i i brought up uh his his time with with pcwa and he loved going there um he's just an all-around good person so to get to see him have that sort of main role and then you've got people like ivory which ivory is a phenomenal talent ivory is a great women's wrestler but did not get sort of the 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 forefront roles or you know the the major roles so to see wrestlers like that you know get a chance to really step out and do something that uh for for a while was really sort of like main event stuff they were doing like the right to censor was a big thing yeah um at that time they gave ivory the women's championship and i believe bob buchanan and the good father were the tag team champions Mm -hmm. yeah uh just I mean, just a, just a brilliant gimmick, um, you know, very, very well thought up. So yeah, love that pick. All right. So I'm going to step here, in. Here number five. Oh, here we go. All right. I'm stepping in with number five and, uh, my number five pick, uh, has to do with not just the talent in the group, but the, uh, the manager of the group as well. So my very first pick at number five is the Heenan family. And let's oh, think about let's yep. think about what we have here. So you start off one. with Bobby Heenan, who uh, is just an absolute manager extraordinaire. In my mind, the greatest professional wrestling manager of all time. Uh, he he started off in the AWA and had all kinds of uh, you know a- amazing talent under his wing, just working with superstars. But then when he got to uh, the WWF listen to this just listen to the roster of wrestlers that he had within the heenan family and just think about not only the talent here but the hall of famers the uh just wrestling legends so we start off with andre the giant he had at one point he had purchased the contract of the mighty hercules harley race big john stud king kong bundy rick rude mr wonderful paul orndorff the brain busters who uh i don't think ever get enough credit for their wwf run because they were just a phenomenal tag team and then king haku which you know most wrestlers will tell you that um king haku was probably one of the legitimate toughest men ever to step in the ring but you've also got harley race in there who was another guy that um you know these are guys that wrestlers did not want to mess with outside the ring because they knew like these guys are legit tough men that will just put you down but if you look at the amount of talent just going through that roster at any one time um all you know under this umbrella of of the heenan family and just taking that talent and adding in you know the tutelage of a manager like bobby the brain heenan because that was back in the day when managers were actually managers they didn't just manage them in the ring they worked with them outside of the ring they traveled with them they you know 
um, booked their rental cars and their hotels. And like managers did actual manager things back then. And, uh, you know, to have the, the level of talent, I mean, we wouldn't have the hall of fame today if it wasn't for Andre the giant. Cause the very first yeah. hall of fame class was created just for Andre. So, um, just in thinking about Heenan and Andre alone, then looking at, uh, you know, all the work they did together, WrestleMania three against Hulk Hogan. Then you look at all the work he did with Rick rude. Um, you know, the, the ultimate pose down that led to his big feud with, you know, the ultimate warrior and just all these, you know, historic moments throughout, you know, the, the late seventies, early eighties, um, you know, leading into the big, you know, sort of, uh, resurgence of, of wrestling and, and looking at, you know, how the business grew, they were all there right during that time. And it's just, to me, it's, it's too much talent to overlook. Yeah. Most of those, um, talents are now either in the hall of fame or just in their own right legends that should be in the hall of fame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for, for me, uh, the Heenan family is just, they they have to be they have to be mentioned because uh, again I feel like they're a group that's completely overlooked. No, I agree. I I wasn't really around at that time, so the Heenan family is not one I know too much of, other than mm-hmm. Bobby, of course. But just hearing those names, they're all legends and hall of famers in their own right. So yeah, that and just if, makes it, sense. If you want to get a good picture of what the Heenan family was like, um, watch some of the, uh, like maybe the first three or four survivor series, you get to see a lot of, um, you know, like the, that time period where the, the Heenan family was in there. So, uh, yeah, good, good stuff. Just a lot of talent. All right. We are up to your number four. This one, I'm stepping away from WWE. We're going to take a dabble into the TNA world. Uh, back in 2013 only because i think it was the biggest swerve outside of wwe in a long long time that nobody got and that was when bully ray was the leader of the aces and eights that's that was one of the biggest swerves that nobody saw coming when they had the aces and eights versus bully and they had them in matches and Everyone thought the bully was going to get him. And then the big cage match against Jeff Hardy and the big swerve comes and nobody saw it coming. Nobody. And if you look at this, the talent in that group, that talent was pretty stacked. You had bully Ray, you had um, Mike Knox, which is Knox. Mm-hmm. You had Taz as a, as a mouthpiece. You had Devon, of course. You had D'Lo Brown. You had Luke Gallows, AKA doc. Mm-hmm. You had Mr. Anderson. And at one point, you had Tito Ortiz for a little bit before they sent him back to um, MMA. Mm-hmm. But like they had a stacked team of people who are just really good wrestlers, legends, and just it was, I think, the best year because they were because they were only around for I think a year. But mm-hmm. it was like the best year of, of TNA wrestling where you wanted to see what happened next week. You wanted to see what happened on Tuesday or Monday, whatever time it was at that point yeah it made tna once again exciting to watch having this big who's the leader who done it situation and it was bully right all along yeah i i and i think um you know uh 
Bully Ray had been uh, as as part of the the Dudley Boys or Team 3D. Um, you know, he had been such a, uh, a fan favorite for a long time. A lot of a lot of even when even when they were like, you know, bad guys in 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 WWE. Still, you know, you had all these people that remember the Dudleys fondly from ECW, so they were still huge yep. fans. Um, in even though they did a lot of heel stuff in in WWE, I feel like TNA was really where Bully Ray sort of came into his own as the quintessential heel of wrestling. I think he was he the had- bad guy of like between 2012 and like 2014 15. He was the bad guy that you wanted to see get beat up by the face. Yeah, and and what was great about you know his TNA run, especially working with Aces and Eights, was that he got so much time on the mic where he didn't necessarily get that in WWF. He didn't really have the whole sort of uh, opportunity to to cut as as many promos as he did in TNA, and I think that's where a lot of people saw, you know, the heel genius of of Bully Ray. But you're absolutely right. The the talent in that group, um, you know. For for TNA at the time, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the knock on TNA was that again, you know, they were bringing in all these WWE guys and all this stuff, but they they gave them a place to shine. They gave them a place to do something that the WWE wasn't giving them. And uh, yeah, the you are right. That is that is one of the biggest swerves. Just that whole you know, uh, Bully Ray being the leader, and uh, I feel like aces and eights really kind of defined a time period in TNA. Yeah, they were literally all you wanted to see. Especially like the slow build towards the who was the leader, because you had mm-hmm. all of them come out and attack people for a while, not say anything, not really speak, just kind of tease. Uh, they would slowly unmask each person as they revealed mm-hmm. more people more you know, and, and they all had different statuses. Like they were they were like they they were like they weren't like groups. They were like vice presidents sergeant in arms like they had all these crazy different yeah. names for each person it wasn't just oh you're in this group you no, know you're you're vice president you're sergeant in arms you're a soldier you're the spokesperson it's like everyone had yeah. a role and a name in this faction that's why i thought it was so interesting to me that aces and eights were just so different for that time period yeah it was i mean it, it was like the perfect merger of sons of anarchy and professional wrestling like it was <laughs> exactly what i'm thinking of yeah it was so it was so much fun yeah, that's that's a that's a phenomenal pick. Um, so actually, with my next pick, I left the world of of WWE as well. So my number four, and I got to admit, so I'm not the biggest uh, I, I I'm not the biggest fan of uh, you know like um, New Japan. I I don't see enough of it. I don't know enough about it. But I will say. Even not knowing enough about that, for me to put them on my list, it's a big deal. So at number four, I've got the Bullet Club. Mm. And for me, um, for me, the amount of, of stars that have come from the Bullet Club, um, the amount of talent that has gone through the Bullet Club, even now, um, just looking at like, you know, talents of, of the future and guys that are going to be huge superstars, and the fact that uh, you really can't, go anywhere um and again we're not talking about dx we're not talking about the nwo but we're talking about the bullet club and if you are talking about those three groups you can't go to wrestling shows without seeing a bullet club shirt 
everybody's oh, got them. Everywhere. it's it's such a big uh it's such a big nostalgic thing for people and you know just to have um to see the impact of of what became from the bullet club when people left you know Prince Devitt, now Finn Balor, AJ Styles, uh, Gallows and Anderson, like yeah. the the talent level that was at, um, the the Young Bucks. I mean, the talent that has passed through the Bullet Club has to garner them some kind of ranking um, on the list of of best factions, simply because there's so much talent and there's just this lasting impression on the wrestling business. Like we will talk, we will literally talk about the Bullet Club forever. We will talk about them in the same vein as the Horsemen and DX and the NWO yeah. because they have left such an impression on the business. Um, I feel like, and and I know that that WWE doesn't doesn't really do this, although they did kind of rip off Bullet Club when they were doing like the Balor Club stuff and some of his yep. like gear, which I feel like is okay because he was like the originator of of the Bullet Club. But yeah, he was the one that made it. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like that's okay, but I don't feel like the Bullet Club directly has anything to do with WWE, but I feel like their influence can be felt there in just um, you know, the the there's so much of of what came from that that's still seen in WWE. I mean, you look at some of AJ Styles' tights and he's got like the Japanese stuff on there from his time yeah. in Bullet Club. Like it's yeah. it it is influenced talent that I don't think we will ever see go away. And you also have to think that they sort of are intertwined because without saying it, you have the OC, you had the club, like you said, you had Bower Club. They were mm -hmm. saying every name but Bullet because yeah. they were trying to, to capitalize off of the name without actually saying the name. Sure. And, and I feel like they may have succeeded at one point where the NWO ultimately failed. You know, because you see these yeah. groups grow and you see different members come and go and the NWO just got to be, you know, when, and nothing, nothing against, uh, nothing against Virgil. I've met him plenty <laughs> of times and I've got plenty of Virgil stories to tell, but when Virgil as Vincent is now joining the NWO and like, you know, uh, Horace Hogan is, is joining the NWO, like things are getting off the rails here. But you never really saw that with the Bullet Club because the level of talent that continued to join the Bullet Club and replace people that were leaving, it never dipped. It never got to the point where you said, oh, I can't believe that guy's in Bullet Club because he just he's not up to the standard. That never yeah. happened. I think the biggest difference between what happened with the NWO and the Bullet Club is that the Bullet Club did have like a carousel of people come and go, while the mm -hmm. NWO just kind of grew and grew and grew. They didn't know what to do with how many people they had on their NWO roster. So they made a WCW versus NWO storyline because they didn't, there was no one to cycle through. It was just, sure. let's just keep adding members and not yeah. change the guard. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that was what happened with the bull club is that they kept changing the guard and they kept making it relevant year mm -hmm. after year after year. Absolutely. And, and that's, and that may be, that may be the difference in, you know, how things work over in new japan that could just be the difference in companies where they're like well you know we're not going to go down that same road and we're not going to let this thing fail we're just going to keep building it at that same level so uh definitely definitely some influential stuff uh coming from new japan and the bullet club
So that brings us up to your number three pick. My number three would be higher, but I have other ones I think are more important. But the shirt I'm wearing, of course, the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong. They were, I think, the faction in NXT from 2017 to 2021. They were it. They, I think, if they weren't in NXT, NXT wouldn't be as popular as it it had become because those three and then four were just must-see TV. And at one point, they gave them all the belts, and it was the coolest image to see is have all four of them come out with the belts and just... It was just so, just so cool because because again it was just something different. You had, had you hadn't had a faction that had all of the belts in a long time like that, where everyone had a belt that were the big belts. You had the North American champion, the NXT mm-hmm. champion, and the and the, the NXT tag team champions. The only one that they didn't have was a woman, but they had all the belts. Yeah, I'm sure if they had added a woman to the group, they she would have had the belt, and they, they would have had every belt. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the undisputed era was just, for me, the undisputed era was a magical time in NXT. Um, the stuff that they were doing, um, they weren't reinventing the wheel, but they were somehow making the wheel better. The stuff that they were, because you look at them and you just, you see a group of people that they were the epitome of a group. They had each other's backs. And what's interesting was, um, you know, and this kind of goes along with them, but also goes along with NXT. I mean, yeah, they had all the titles and, uh, you know, the, the North American title was actually a secondary title that meant something like it was a quality secondary title because they 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 took the championships that already meant something and they elevated them they made them so yeah. much better um and you you didn't care that the undisputed era was just running over people because they were um they they took so many elements of they took elements of the four horsemen where they were all championship they material they were all champions and better than everybody else they merged that with aspects of the nwo where they were like the bad guys, but the cool bad guys. You loved watching them do all the bad things that they did. Um, they took elements of DX where, you know, um, it was just fun appointment television. You had to see NXT yeah. every week because you wanted you wanted to see the Undisputed Era. And I think for me, the big thing about the Undisputed Era was that every single one of those guys, and and we had a we had a tag team in there, um, you know, and and those guys could go as far as a tag team, but all four of them could go individually. And you, you had Adam Cole, who was, you know, the, the de facto leader of the group, but at the same time, you could not look at one of those four and say, well, this guy's better than this guy, or this guy's better than this guy, because they all brought so much talent. They were so good. Um, you know, it was just crazy about that is that, in a sense, the group started in 2010 in Ring of Honor when they were Future Shock, which is why I think it's kind of a funny nod that their theme says "Shock the System." Yes, uh, brilliant. Um, whoever whoever let that happen, that was brilliant. And I I find that like this whole idea of the Undisputed Era is so far-reaching beyond 
just what they did in NXT. Look at the reaction Roderick Strong came out when he hugged Adam Cole in the ring. Like the crowd on oh, AEW, the crowd went nuts. insane. Yeah, it was nuts. Like, that was one of that was one of the biggest pops I've heard in AEW in a long time because people wanted to see that because they miss how great the Undisputed Era was. Um, and th this is why I don't think that they can ever really fix NXT. Like once they left the black and gold brand and they did NXT 2.0, even even trying to go back and even Triple H and Shawn Michaels trying to fix things down there and make you know things more like the the black and gold brand, they'll never be able to go back to the black and gold brand because i mean it's it's in it's in the logo the undisputed yeah. era was the black and gold brand yeah. there's yep. no way to there's no way to replicate that magic again because you had four people who i feel were so invested in the idea of the undisputed era as a team and not them individually i mean it took a little while till roderick strong got on board but i feel like that was a great story telling you know, to yeah, the point where that was he, a great build to eventually have him join the yeah. group. That was a great build with that whole tag team match. And it was just, yeah. And it, it was, and that was the key element putting the four of them together was that key element. And it was, it was just a magic that you can't, um, you can't ever know is going to be as great as it is. You can't ever know that you're building something, but then it happens and you're like, wow, like, you know, we could never have known it was going to be this good. No, it was, I think that was the golden era of NXT and it has not been the same since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, that was a phenomenal number three pick. That was great. Uh, so moving on to my number three, uh, I have what I feel is uh, my personal favorite uh, faction of all time. And I was going to put them at number one, but uh, there are some others that I feel are more deserving but not by much my pick for number three is the mean street posse no i'm kidding my pick for number three my pick for number three was actually the undisputed era like okay. we were we were right on we were right on target with that one so i also yep. picked the undisputed era and um i i don't feel like we can show them enough love for what they what they did for the business what they did for nxt um it again it was just a magical time and we'll we'll never get that back but um you know i feel like us talking about nxt and the undisputed era and that time it's kind of like how fans talk about ecw the fans that you know yeah. were like you know we talk about this nostalgic time that we'll just we'll never get back again um i i remember watching um you know it was appointment television to see nxt you know we'd all gather at somebody's house and throw the network on and like you you just you had to see it so yeah, you um, had to see what they were going to do next. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, great, great picks. All right, well, that lets us move on to your number two. We're getting up to the top here. I'm excited to yeah. see what you've got. I had to do a last-minute change-up because one of your picks Ooh. was my number one. So I did a last-minute oh. switch-up. Uh, you already mentioned Bullet Club, so Bullet Club now from on my list is off. Um, oh, wow, wow. So last-minute changes, I'm excited. My number two uh, is probably what changed modern wrestling today because you have three of the biggest stars in different companies today and that's the shield okay if you did not have the shield there would be no roman reigns there would be no tribal chief there would be no seth freaking rollins and there definitely wouldn't be no john moxley mm -hmm. because that group i think started all of their careers and launched into where they are now i think if they were never formed and they never did their two-year run as the shield 
There would mm-hmm. be no Rollins or Reigns or even Dean Ambrose, aka John Moxley, that he is now. Yeah. Because they got all their starts from being in that group together those two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their I'm, matches were must see, like kind of like um on the studio, their matches were must see because mm-hmm. for a good year they never lost. They were undefeated. You wanted to know yeah. when they were gonna lose their first big match. Because for a year they just dominated. So so for me, the shield did two things. One, um, I feel like when when they made their debut, when they jumped over the railing, um nobody nobody saw it coming. Um at the time NXT wasn't as heavily followed um by the majority of the fans like it would become. So there were a lot of WWE fans that were unsure about who they were at the time. Um, but their their arrival and and coming over the ring and just you know uh, attacking during the match I thought was was fantastic. Um, I thought that was one of the better um, debuts that that they've had in WWE in a long time. Uh, so that was really cool. And for me, the um, the Shield versus the Wyatt family that feud on the main roster. Uh, that, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite feuds of all time, because I think every single match that they had was just an absolute banger of a match. Um, it was just, you know, uh, just phenomenal ring work. Um, you want to talk about people working together as teams and working together as a unit. Um, now I almost put the shield on my list and I will say that I ended up not putting them on my list. And my reasoning for not putting the shield on the list was I felt like the shield did more for the three wrestlers involved as individuals than it did for the shield as a group. And that's the only reason I left them off. But I think the idea of the shield and what they were able to do with it and the fact that they were able to take three uh three individuals and elevate the three of them with the creation of this group um i mean you want to talk about one of the biggest surprise moments ever in wrestling i mean seth rollins turning on the group was just unimaginable like that that, that was shocking shot heard around the world when oh, he it was. smashed so hard and Reigns just slumped to the freaking ropes. The crowd went silent. Yeah, yeah, because because nobody saw nobody saw Seth Rollins being the guy to do it. Yeah, yeah, no one knew how to react. They were just silent. And then yeah. when he hit Ambrose, that's when they they started to boo. But it took them a good second to realize, wait, what just happened? Yes, yes, and the, people didn't think Seth Rollins was going to be the guy. They thought one of the others was going to be the guy to turn. Um, the whole thing was just so masterfully done and it really did. Um, you're, you're 100% correct. It, it made three legitimate superstars and we would, we would not have what we have today if it were not for that. And I'm glad that you put the shield on your list because I don't think sometimes that faction is given enough credit for giving us the head of the table giving us the bloodline like the shield the shield was the blueprint and the architect for how to make all that work and yeah i don't think we give them enough i don't think we give that group enough credit for that so um they were always they were always fun to watch always fun to see what they were doing next um again very much like uh an undisputed era and they were 
I think, because that was one of the first big groups to come out of NXT when they were when they changed from being a like game show to an actual brand. Mm-hmm. And but what but what they did differently, which I wish they would do a lot more now with their NXT stars, is they made them reintroduce themselves to the main roster mm-hmm. rather than just say, "Oh, you know them." I think, like, no, no, no. Here's who they are. Yeah, and here and let them let them tell you who they are each week rather than just you assume that you know who they are because mm-hmm. i think the problem nowadays with nxt is that they just assume you watch nxt so you should know who this star is mm-hmm. but that doesn't always translate because not everybody watches nxt sure and i i think that's where the shield gets the edge over the undisputed era because i i feel like you know the the shield made legitimate stars out of everyone in the group and they're now going on to do some of the biggest things in wrestling and i don't think the undisputed is there yet i don't think everybody that's in the undisputed era has gotten the same opportunities that you know the the guys from the shield have and and it's yet to be seen um you know what really happens with everyone from undisputed era but i mean you're when you look at the shield you're literally talking about three of the biggest names in wrestling we're talking about roman reigns breaking everyone's um you know longest uh reigning champion world record we're talking about seth rollins as the guy who's probably going to win the new, uh, you know, world title and John Moxley, you know, I mean, this guy is like the, the face of AEW. Like he's such a huge integral part of that, even though he didn't, he wasn't there when it started. He's now such a huge part of it. So three gigantic superstars, um, for sure. And, uh, we do have the, the shield to thank for that. Yeah. If it wasn't for them, we may not see the modern age of wrestling that we now see. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, um, my number two is, is very similar to your number two in the fact that I feel like we've got a group that has legitimate superstars. Um, not everybody has necessarily gotten where they should be. And this is also a conversation we've had, but my number two is the new day. Uh, mm. Xavier Woods, Kofi I, Kingston, I, I, and Biggie. I and love them. So for for me, um, I, I feel like if you look at um, factions in professional wrestling and you look at at, at groups that have come and gone, um, you know, as long as these guys are in WWE, as we discussed previously on, on episode one, the New Day is never going anywhere. They are going to be New Day for life, and so far we have seen. The rise of Kofi Kingston with Kofi Mania, which was huge. Yep. We've seen the rise of Big E uh, with his world title run. And I feel like maybe not in the same vein, but Xavier Woods is a superstar in his own right. I mean, we we chronicled all the stuff that he does. We talked about, um, you know, just being a, a YouTube sensation and, and being all over the product. And I think someday he will get his due. Uh, and I, I hope that that's soon, but for me, again, this is a group that epitomizes what it means to be a group. When one of them is missing, the two of them continue. And the third one is a presence, even when not there. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's incredible to see, um, three guys that basically saw nothing for themselves, saw no future banded together was given a gimmick that would never have lasted as long as it did. And they took that and they ran with it and proved 
why they are superstars. They've been a group almost as long as Bull Club. Bull Club mm -hmm. formed in 2013. New Day formed end of 2014. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they've been around almost 10 years now, which is crazy to think about that they've been a group for that long. But yeah, almost 10 absolutely. years that New Day has been in the group. Yeah. Um, I just... The, the thing about New Day is that no matter what they do, even if it's them out there cutting promos, there is an excitement level to the New Day. There is a believability to the New Day. Um, it's the kind of thing that you just, you want to watch. I, I can think about watching like Monday Night Raws or Smackdowns on replay and just kind of, you know, um, fast forwarding through the boring stuff and stuff I didn't want to watch. and yeah you know you see the new day and you stop immediately like it's just a gut reaction like you have to see what they're doing um they're yeah. just and and the and the talent is there you go all the way back to um you look at uh kofi kingston and and the stuff he was doing before the new day i mean he was a phenomenal talent then you look at mm -hmm. biggie langston when he was in nxt just a phenomenal talent then. And Xavier Woods, again, you want to talk about a guy that's been given like garbage gimmicks and, uh, you know, having to work through that and get to, um, you know, just get to another gimmick um, that works for him. I, I mean, this guy has overcome so much as, as far as like bad gimmicks go and he's taken it all in stride. And now he's, you know, such a, such a major part of this group. I mean, who would have ever thought that we'd know the name of a trombone? I mean, yeah. seriously, come on, you know, um, you know, friend. Yeah. Friend Francesca too, man. Francesca one rest in peace, but Francesca too, you're, you know, but it's, it's, it's insane. Just, uh, the, the stuff they do, the fun they have, um, they're, they're a, they're a faction for the people. So they first started, they weren't obviously what they are now, but nobody. Oh, you're breaking up. They were so preachy mm. at first. They were, they seem more like preachy than like the new day that we know now. Well, so, I, like, I think in the beginning, uh, I get the impression that they were supposed to be like heels. Like it was not yeah. a very face group. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was very positive at first. It felt like they were almost like mocking you in a way without mm -hmm. saying anything. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so yeah it's um you know y sometimes you look at groups and y you think to yourself you know like um you know i i like these guys but it's it's really good to see a, a group like that succeed as well as they have because you know they just they have a love for the business and i think that's why their their group excels because they they all have that you know that real real love for the business so yep all right, it's time. We've gone through our lists. We've chopped them down little by little, and it is now time to get to our number one picks. So I am I'm excited to see what you've got. I've, I've been waiting. One, I'm a little bit upset that uh, I didn't say that I should omit this team from the uh, first three. They're, like, they're all the one that everyone would say, and that's evolution. Because wow. without evolution, you wouldn't have... Batista's long reign as well as Orton's long reign because they made stars out of both Batista and Orton. Well, mm -hmm. had the big Orton turn where they went thumbs up, thumbs down. You can never yeah. forget it. You had the big Batista thing 
where he did the thumbs up with one thumbs up and then turned his thumb down for the contract. Like it was just so big for that time. And they had that run. And this was also during the, uh, you know, the reign of terror with Triple H anyway. So obviously that helped him out as well, but it was just, you loved to hate them back in the day because of Triple H and how they were the team. And their sole purpose was to help Triple H keep the belt. Yeah. And I mean, you just think of, you just think about how that time period was also such a resurgence and reemergence of the character of Ric Flair. I mean, yeah. that, that, you know, kind of put Ric Flair on the map again. I mean, they, they painted him as, you know, this, this wise sort of mentor character. And it just, it, it kind of furthered the legend of who Ric Flair was. He was the wise man before Heyman was the wise man. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, there, um, you know, between, between all the members of evolution, there was just so much talent there. And there was, I mean, you could see WrestleMania main eventers in all four of them. You could see it at any time. Um, even with Randy Orton being as young as he was in the group. Um, you know, he talks about a lot of times he talks about his struggles, during that time in wrestling, um, you know, and just kind of figuring out who he was and, and how the business worked. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you could look at, you know, when, when they did their sort of, uh, you know, reunion on, on raw years later, um, how fondly people, you know, remembered evolution and just the amount of talent over the years that is is just represented in those four wrestlers is just incredible and then i think what's crazy is that it was almost mark jindrak in there almost yes that video is insane watching that video where they're walking up over the over like the top of the street and you see see mark Jindrak. Jindrak yeah and not orton that's that's incredible um yeah it just right yeah, it it just goes to show you like the the world of wrestling is just insane sometimes and it it just takes one little tweak and and things could have been completely different. And you also have to remember that they had them working with like McFoley, The Rock was with them. You had mm-hmm. them like doing these high profile matches. Orton was working with Taker at some point. Like he was they had him working with the big guys as well as trying to bring him up, you know, the yeah. ladder of you know, superstardom. So mm-hmm. they had matches with all the big names of, of that time. You had Orton facing them, Batista facing them. Like they were brought up on all of like the big guys that could carry them to the next level. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's just, I mean, there's no question that, that there is a absolute spot in history for that group. I mean, they were, you know, they, they took this idea of the, the four horsemen and and modernized it in a way and tweaked it enough that um it it just sort of it created this whole thing and the the presentation of evolution for me was just um absolutely amazing between the the theme music and everybody showing up in suits and like the whole presentation they were just you know they were better than everybody they knew it they showed it um it, it was just perfect presentation for the time yeah they were big shots and they made you know that they were big shots by the way they yeah. dressed their epic entrance theme their epic entrance where they would just walk out slow and just oh yeah almost as if they were the bloodline taking their sweet time to get into the rain that way you just knew that mm-hmm. who they were 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel like modern wrestling, you can take a lot of what the old factions were doing and you can place a lot of the modern factions that they took ideas from all these older sure. factions sure. and put it and it kind of like reimagine them in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that was a, that was a great number one pick. Not who I put at number one. Um, I'm curious but to see def- who you picked. Uh, all right. So I, when I picked my number one, this was actually when we, when we first brought up the idea of discussing factions, this was the very first group I immediately thought of. And I thought to myself, well, I've got them on my list. I know I'm going to keep them on my list. So I'm just going to start pulling other factions that I, I think could be on my list. And I will see, you know, where they land in this. And I just had to keep moving them up to number one. And they ended up there at the very end. So my number one is the Heart Foundation. Mm-hmm. Brett, Jim the Anvil, Owen, Heck. Bulldog, Brian Pillman. And I, I have two very specific reasons for this. Well, three, honestly. I mean, they were, I mean, most of them were family. And then Brian Pillman was uh, a, a friend of the family. But they they really were uh, a quintessential team. They, 100%, um, they, for a long time, you know, their, their mission was kind of, you know, protecting Bret Hart, protecting his uh, you know, everything that he was doing. Um, and then it kind of morphed into, you know, more of this, uh, more of this group mentality. And a lot of that had to do with what I feel was one of the most groundbreaking, um, angles that the WWE has ever done. And the reason I think this is so groundbreaking is because I feel like we had something that we'd really never seen before. And so when, they were doing the um, Canada versus USA angle where Bret Hart was just cutting down on Canada all the time. Yeah. You, you literally had a group of people that on one side of the border were heels. And then when they went home to Canada and did shows there, they were the returning conquering heroes. Yeah. And they had to me, I, and, and, and I'm a big stone cold Steve Austin fan. I've, I've, I've seen, pretty much everything he's ever done as far as WWE is concerned. I, I you know, and, but when I talk about the greatest wrestling entrances of all time, and I look at specific entrances to me, there is no bigger proof. And I don't think you'll ever see a moment in wrestling where you will see a reaction like this, except at this one time when they did in your house Canadian Stampede, and it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, Gold Dust, Ken Shamrock, and the Legion of Doom against the Heart Foundation. And the Heart Foundation came out and they had individual entrances. And I'm telling you that they're, I mean, I was in. The building at WrestleMania 25 when Stone Cold came out for his Hall of Fame introduction, and that was one of the loudest ovations I'd ever heard in my entire life. But this was on another level. The crowd was so hot for that Heart Foundation, and every one of them was treated like a superstar. The Bulldog came out with his obnoxious wife Diana, who was dressed as <laughs> Miss Calgary with the sash and the crown, and the crowd they went the ate it up. They went the, the crowd. Whole night- 
yes, the, the crowd ate it up. And then after that match was over, the crowd stormed the ring. And it, it was just, to me, I look at that and I say to myself, I can't think of, I can't think of a better moment or a better night that a faction has had. And I can't think of a faction that I remember as fondly and think about as a full, complete group than I think about the Heart Foundation. I think, you know, they they kind of made it through the the whole sort of faction wars era of WWE. And I feel like they were the first ones to really um sort of sort of do it big and have these these quintessential moments and the fact that they went from heel to face to heel uh depending on where the show was to me that was just groundbreaking and again the amount of talent you have there bret hart hall of famer jim the anvil hall of famer bulldog hall of famer brian pillman should be a hall of famer for his body of work owen hart should absolutely be a hall of famer and that's never going to happen which is sad beyond belief and the hart foundation themselves should be in as a faction and that's never going to happen because you know owen's wife is never going to let that happen and i understand i understand her side of it but i also understand that like you want to give the fa- even if you feel that WWE is capitalizing on it for altruistic measures, that's fine. You want to give the fans the opportunity to celebrate him, and that's what the Hall of Fame is. How do you feel about um, AEW doing their uh, annual Owen Hart Tournament Cup? Um, I I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, I I would have liked to have seen. I mean, I think there should have been more of a um connection there i don't really feel like there's any real connection between aew and and owen hart at all so i feel like aew is a strange place to be having something like that however i'm glad that somebody is doing it that they're at least allowing somebody to um you know present something that um you know honors and memorializes owen um you know you have to look at you have to look at a wrestler as a whole and when yeah. you look at when you look at owen hart um i mean his his body of work is is fantastic um you know he always comes up in conversations about guys that that never had the opportunity to win the big one um his match with bret hart at wrestlemania 10 was was phenomenal his tag team work uh just unparalleled he was a, a great character um they had some missteps with him you know uh the nation of domination and time for a change owen hart and i am not a nugget and like there were some missteps with him <laughs> not not his fault but um you know he's he's had a hall of fame career but he's also from what everybody said a hall of fame guy yeah. like he uh, he's a good he was a good person he cared about his all he cared about was his family all he wanted to do was was make money and get out of wrestling and be with his family and you know, unfortunately it did not work out for him in that way, but, but from everything they say, he was such a great man outside of the ring as well. So I feel like it's great that somebody is finally doing something, but I'm just, I, I don't get the connection with AEW at all. I don't see it. I don't understand it. Um, but I am okay with it. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like the Hart Foundation for me, 
just ticks off all the boxes. So, um, yeah, uh, some, some really great lists. And honestly, I think, I think everybody that we talked about today, and I know that there are other factions that we could have brought up. There's, there's many more, but I think everybody we talked about today deserves a place in that discussion. I think they're all, you know, um, quality factions that have in, in one way changed the business or added something to the business or done something for the business that has changed the course of wrestling history. We wouldn't be the same without them. And, uh, I, I think they all deserve, you know, their, uh, their, their adulations. And, uh, I think they all deserve to be in the conversation. Uh, 100%. They all should definitely some great picks all around from both sides. And, and I will say just as a side note that, um, the mean street posse is the only group to ever sit at a couch ringside and watch a match. So, uh, and, and they're, and listen, if we're talking about changing the wrestling game, their sweater vest game was on point. They made me, they made me want to wear sweater vests. I, I want yeah. something else. I wanted to go. I wanted to go see the mean streets of Greenwich after that. I wanted to plan a vacation, but listen, uh, yeah. So, uh, great, great conversation on factions today. Um, you know, we got into a little draft talk and, uh, looking forward to backlash tomorrow night. Looking forward to see what happens. Same. I am. I think I am looking against the show. I think it's going to be a great show. I just feel like the match outcomes are going to be very predictable. Yeah, and that's that's the knock on a lot of uh, WWE premium live events is just, you know, you you know that you know that they're just not going to pull certain triggers and they're yeah. not going to make certain changes. So, you know, it it does get a little um, predictable sometimes. But who knows? As as long as it's a good show, as long as we've got some some good matches, and I think we're going to see some good matches, uh, I think it'll be a success. Yep. I All right. To. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. So, all right. Uh, that's gonna, that's gonna wrap us up for this week. Um, before we go, just throw a couple shout outs out there. Uh, we have our Mancast network intro comes from David Adams. You can check him out online, uh, at voice of the ring on Twitter. And uh, you can see all the great stuff that he's doing. Um, and then, of course, our Opinion City intro comes from our uh, good friend SoCalVal, who you can find on Twitter at SoCalValery. Again, both of these people are all over the world of wrestling, so check out what they're doing. And, of course, you can find us uh, on Twitter at Mancast Network. You can also email us, mancastnetwork at uh, gmail.com. You can find me online at realralph316. And uh, Sean, where can everybody find you? Find me at, at Arma Cheezle. Awesome. Find spell it, you'll have fun with it. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, it's it's been another great week. And guys, uh, love talking pro wrestling with you. And uh, thanks for listening. And we will see you guys next week. See you soon.